Check out Blue Collar BS on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, Locals, and BitChute, and also on Facebook. Now, on with the show. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. Fucking thing. No. We'll do it live. Right. Fuck it. And we're live. Back in the lair. Uh, and the topic we're going to cover today is going to be uh, one that was pretty in the place we work. We kind of parsed it apart and got a lot of different views. And the surprising thing with me is how many people agreed with how how much of a, a net good debt is. And um, I don't know, man. I, 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 have, I don't believe it is. What do, you, what do you think about that? What's your opinion? A net good? Yeah. Well, what well, does that mean? So well, that overall, a little closer. Yeah, keep it like a fist away. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, a net good, so that means like overall it's a good thing? Yeah, or not even that, but what's, what's even laid out the way that was proposed initially when the conversation did start. Okay, so if you say you say you have a house and you owe, let's just use this. Just, we're just going to go with this. $500,000 in the home. And your interest rate's three percent, and all of a sudden you inherited five hundred. Would say you inherited money, and after you paid taxes, you owed. You, you not not that you owed you netted five hundred thousand dollars. That's what you kept after you paid the taxes, which was it's exactly the amount of money that you owed on the house. And the the question proposed is, what would you do? And you to pay, me, the you pay off the house. That that's the initial reaction that I thought. And l- let me let me break down why I thought that way, and then we'll get into the other side where we had a disagreement on, on this idea. If you have a house that's that you bought for $500,000, you have 3% interest, after you've run the length of that 30-year loan, you will have paid more than interest than on the principal of the house. So even though you inherited $500,000 tank home after taxes and everything, you will have paid more than interest than what you inherited. And not only that, but my whole my whole rationale why that's better is you have now you now have freed up capital. When you have freed up capital and you don't have that monthly mortgage payment, you can get you can do risky stuff. You can get really risky risky with your investments. The thing is, is you have more risk tolerance because you don't have this laden debt burden sitting on you. So you can do more riskier things that lends you the freedom, not just riskier, but lends you the freedom to pursue the things you want to do and not the things you have to do. Let's be honest, at the end of the day, we all go do a job, not because we so much that we love it, it's because it's means to an end at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, what, what was your whole take when we were laying this, this thing out? My whole take was I'd rather not have a monthly payment. Like, if I could, if I could take home whatever I take home from work, and then that's just mine. I don't have to worry about a payment that I have to give every month. What's, what's been, the average monthly mortgage payment is two grand. Yeah, so on, on two top, grand that's in so, my pocket every month, and it's not even on so much that's two grand in your pocket. It's two thousand dollars you don't have to pay out. Even if I gave you two thousand dollars a month, which you still owe 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 a mortgage, you'd have to pay that money toward the mortgage. Yeah. So on top of you having that money in your pocket, you're now not also sinking it into your house, unless you want to do a project. Yeah, you, you have a lot more freed up capital, and 
I thought that was a. I thought a, and it was weird how many people thought that was a bad idea. And, I don't. And, I don't know why though. That's the thing. Well, the thing that got me too is the, the the counter position. The guy that was pushing back against it was was telling me why it's such a bad idea. Is because you need a tax write off. Why do you Why do you need the tax write off when you have that much freed up capital? You don't. So if you if you're no longer paying that two thousand dollars a month, what's two times twelve? It's twenty four. Mm-hmm. You have now freed up yourself of twenty thousand twenty four thousand dollars of additional capital. So you don't have a write off. So what? What'd you do before you had a house and you didn't have that write off? You use the money for other stuff. Yeah. And not that, but okay, say, so say you need a write off. So now you can look into getting an investment home and use that as a write off. But the thing is, the best thing about that whole equation is you're no longer sitting on a mountain of debt. And, you're, and on top of that, you're also not paying a bank an additional $600,000 in just interest to get this. People, just think about that scenario. If you buy it, if say you went out and bought a car and a car is $20,000, and if you ran the length of the car loan, you would have paid $40,000 total. Does that make sense to you if you had the opportunity to pay it off then and now? It doesn't. So why does that suddenly change when you when you look at it through the lens of a house? I don't know. If you really want a tax write-off, just have a bunch of kids. That you can afford now because you don't have a mortgage payment. But what do you think is more productive to you being an individual? A tax write-off or no longer having a monthly mortgage payment when you have a family? No longer having a monthly mortgage payment. And that freed up capital. Yeah. You can do way more productive stuff with your kids. And the, the counter side of this position, I don't, I don't want to strong man, the, strong man, the individual. But he did have a good point. But the problem is with, the, with the point he made is this. And this is where it starts... To go off the rails. He would invest it. In what? That's the problem. Into the market. Do you know anything about the market? No. Do you know anything about vesting? No. Do you know anything about businesses? No. So Why can't you, you do that with the freed up $2,000? Yeah. Well, you we can actually, you have the ability to get risky. Yeah. You can do the same thing. Just, you don't have this. And, and but he But he made the notion that you couldn't do that. Because it's impossible to save that money. Yeah, but you don't have a mortgage payment. Why so why is that impossible? Yeah. So let's let's run let's let's run this down. This is where I think that thinking goes off the rails. So if you now say say you still have all the other debt outside your home payment, so all of a sudden now now you no longer have a mortgage payment. So that means you have two thousand dollars a month that you're no longer paying on a mortgage that you can allocate to paying off all your debt. So let's say you pay off all your debt within the year. So now instead of saying you have $2,000 a month freed up. Let's say you have almost $4,000 a month freed up. How much money is that in one year? That's almost $50,000. Do do you do you understand where this compounded effect? So in one year, you can almost save $50,000. Because you're blasting your debt out. Now, and it's not so much $50,000. It's $50,000 of high-risk investment. Because you, you, you can lose that money. Because you don't, if you lose it, it's not the end of the world. You still own the property you live on. No one's going to come take it. Unless you don't pay your taxes. Oh, okay. Yeah, this whole podcast we're doing, <laughs> this, this one, I want to call it debt, slavery. Debt and slavery and why they coincide with each other. And, and what it does to you in the marketplace when you build your life around debt. And what it does 
it closes doors and opportunities of doing stuff that you want to do. It takes that out of your life. You, you lose the freedom to operate and to pursue the things you want. I don't, does that make sense well, to you? I, at all? Yeah, it makes sense. But my question is, how many people stress out over trying to make the monthly mortgage payment? Not, not even monthly mortgage payments. Include the monthly mortgage payment with on top of a bunch of other debt they took out. Mm-hmm. Multiple car payments. A bunch of other compounding effects. So you're laden with debt. If you, when you have that much debt, everything becomes an emergency. The smallest things become an emergency. Some people think your kids come in the emergency. And I that, but my whole premise principle, my whole premise that I was trying to lay out is that my idea of paying off your house will actually benefit over 80% of the people in that equation. The you saying you're going to make a small business or something like that, that doesn't benefit the average person. The average person will squander that money on in irrelevant shit and never do anything. But if you can get them to pay their house off, their standard living and happiness in life and them enjoying with their family, that's a fucking immediate right when the house is paid off. Yeah. You, you, have, you have all these other avenues. Like, say you're doing a job and you don't want to do it, then all of a sudden this happens. And now you don't have this giant, this giant factor. And now let's say you save money like a motherfucker so you can get into another field, and it gives you the... Since you don't have this giant cost burden of the mortgage payment, maybe you, maybe you can quit your job and get a job that's shittier that you, lends you to take classes at college to pursue the things you want. You you get to actually enjoy pursuing things you want to do in life. Yeah. Or then you're living on the edge of, you know, trying to make monthly mortgage payments and then a global pandemic hits and so, you're fucked. So let, let's run that down. Let's play that scenario. Let's say last year in September, you were, you ran across this scenario where you could either pay your house off or you could invest it into market. What the fuck happened in January? This market took a shit right on your chest. That that's what it did. Yeah. And so now so we now just, you took a shit and you still have a mortgage payment. You still have a two thousand dollar mortgage payment. Yeah. That that but this is why unloading debt is beneficial. It people view it through this lens. Are you okay with the government having astronom- astronomical amounts of debt sitting on the balance sheet that you as a taxpayer are on the hook for? No. Then why does it change all of a sudden when it when it gets put in your lap? Would you run your household like that? I don't think you can. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just the whole thing with debt. It makes you a slave to certain things. It does. I, I don't know if people are going to take that out of context, but when when you're laden that much with debt, you are a slave to the system. You have to operate within it instead of outside of it. You can't take risks of leaving the job you have right now to pursue other things. Even if you, if you have kids, it makes it even worse. Yeah, it does. When you have a family and kids, your risk your risk aversion aversion is way lower. You have to have this low tolerance of risk because you don't have the ability to be risky. Think about it, if so. If you have a mortgage payment that's two thousand a month, and let's say you have a car payment and a couple of them and a bunch of other debt that's floating around. Okay, if you lose your job, how much floating room do you have? the average person you better have a good savings account but who does no one these are all factors that 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 go into that and what got me too is the, the more i parsed it with them the, the whole and, and, and then i remember him asking me about it he's like well could you could you double that money so like, yeah i probably could there's a chance i couldn't there's a chance whatever i got into to try to double it would fail i, I don't want to i don't want to gamble at the poker table when I have a massive amount of debt sitting on me with that kind of money. 
No one's going to do that. If you're at the casino, are you going to go drop $500,000 on fucking black on the roulette table? You could double it. You could. Yeah, <laughs> you sure the fuck could. You could also lose it. I mean, what do you think about that? You still have a student loan debt and everything. I still have student loan debts that, that I still have to pay. Uh, so, yeah, in a sense, I kind of am. You know, I, I still have to worry about having to make that payment. But it, so the way they get you is it's only a $400 payment a month, which doesn't seem like that much. But when you realize, when I started to think about it and I signed for $40,000, then I'm like, oh, shit. <coughs> so I think that's how they get you. They make it look like debt isn't that bad of a, uh, an idea. Because it's such a low monthly payment that you're just like, oh, I could do that. Yeah, and then you all of a sudden you factor the interest, you factor in the length of it, you start calculating. No one, the average person doesn't take these factors into account. Which these are when you're younger, you I, I understand it completely. When you're younger, you're completely oblivious to it. And you act like an idiot. That's normal. Everybody does it. I did it. But the older you get, you should be factoring in interest and different calculations into the equation, potentials to go wrong. Different stuff. The goal is to set yourself up in a position when you get older that you can tolerate more risk, more more things happening that can disrupt your life. But having a massive amount of debt, you're not you can't tolerate shit. Nothing. Everything's a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I God, think we saw it live with the whole coronavirus thing. Yeah. And how much everybody freaked out. You know what got me, too, is when we started talking to more important people where we worked, I want to say almost 80% of the people had the same view he did. But then when you get them to hammer down what they would invest into. Nobody knows. Yeah, this I would invest it. I would hire someone to invest it for me. Yeah, <laughs> that's the last thing I would do. <laughs> Knowing how a lot of these fucks are. No way. I'm not that, I'm not that risk- my risk tolerance is not that good where I want to give somebody that kind of money and hope they're going to do me right at the end of the day. They're going to do themselves right. Because that's human nature. Yeah. You're going to shave a little bit off the top every single time. Mm-hmm. Even, if, even, if the, even if the gains are, are, are low. Even then, so if you have a market crash and, and say some of the stuff they have you into is some risk, risky stuff. That and you no didn't one, know about. And you didn't know about. You're fucked. They still got paid. You ate, you ate a big old shit sandwich on the equation. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the whole the more we talk to people, I, I just found that there was only a few people that, that were on the same side as me about this equation. There was you, the guy that oversees our team that actually owns property, and that was the first thing he said. He's, I'll pay off all my houses, and then I would look at new investment property. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an actual tangible plan. It's not I would invest it in open-ended as fuck. Do you think someone could take that money and learn to invest? You would have some losses in the beginning, big time. But do you think he would be someone would be able to make it up? Yes and no. Let me quantify that. Yes, if they were serious about understanding the markets and you took in and you read and you did a lot of research. Okay, this is where that falls apart. Who does that? I don't know. If I have a buffer zone of five hundred thousand, I could actually take the time to actually do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of playing the other side right I now. I understand but, that, but okay, so. How many of those people said they would invest it or have actually even did any research as of now? No one. But no one has a $500,000 buffer. 
Well, at least no one I know. So, but if we're running hypotheticals, you don't even have a strategy other than a blanket statement that's vague as fuck. That was like reading the Democratic. That's like reading the Democratic Party's <laughs> platform. Just vague. We're gonna fix systemic racism. How? That's a good question. And we're also gonna do the Green New Deal. Yeah, but you didn't answer the question. You're not listening. We have a plan for that. Here's another plan. <laughs> All we just said is invest it, start a business. So in California with COVID right now. So what if you took it and put it in a savings or something? I would is, not. That, is that equally as bad? Okay, so let's quantify that. Do you currently have a mortgage payment? I don't. No, in this oh. scenario. Oh, in this scenario? Yeah. Uh, Sure. So you have a mortgage. So would you pay the mortgage off? If we're putting it in savings, in this scenario, no. So what if we just took the money, put it in savings, and then, well, uh, that's that, that's going to fall apart in my own head. What's interest <laughs> rates right now? Nothing. Okay. What What is the Fed's mandated goal every year? 2%. 2% inflation. So you have savings that are sub-1. The Fed has a goal of 2% inflation. Why do you, okay, this leads right into, this is a good segue into this. Why does everybody think the markets are going up? Let's start there. Why do they think it's going up? Okay, why are because the, of, no, or because well, why of, are the markets going up? Uh, because of government intervention. That's a part of it. There's another part of the equation too. So if you're an average person, say you're trying to you're trying to generate passive income through really low risk areas. Okay, so where would you usually do that in? The bonds that yield high that yield high to interest, maybe a high interest savings account. Stuff like that, where you can touch the money if you need to, but you don't want to touch it because it's gaining good interest. So all of a sudden, let's say these interest rates are sub one like they are now. So if you're an institutional investor and you're trying to manage people that are older and manage their money safely, and that's not viable, and nothing's viable, high yield debt's very sketchy right now. It's all like sub triple B, which is fucking, you should, that's like warning flags. But that's the only thing yielding even that's super low. That's like 2 or 3%. So the most riskiest assets that you can park money in to gain interest, it's super fucking risky right now. It's looking really bad. So what are you going to go? Well, the stock market's been on this giant climb since the COVID bounce, kind of, since it dipped and came back out. So it's climbing again. It's rallying. Well, fuck, how much did it rally? A fuck ton. It went from almost 20 back up to 27. Okay? Well, if you have money... And you can't yield anything anywhere, and you're an investor, where are you going to flow? Right into the equity markets, buying stocks. And why do you think the thing's been rallying? Because everybody's looking to generate something because nothing can be generated anywhere else right now. No one wants to buy houses, really. Real investors, they don't want anything to do with the fucking housing market. People that are regular people are trying to buy them because they're, they're, they think everything's fine and it's never going to fall. So, real investors, they're not trying to buy houses. Average person, yeah. They're trying to get in these expensive homes. So if you're a real investor, you're trying to generate an income, and, and you know, and you already know everybody's flooding into the market. So you're gonna you're gonna ride that wave too. The thing with a lot of those investors, they usually have they usually have a lot better indicators than the average person buying stocks in Robinhood. So they usually pull out the market before they suffer those consequences. But if you're a jerk off with that kind of money, and you're investing, you're not gonna know. And even then, if any of you hire one of those investors to demand your money, who says they're good? You're taking a risk that they are good. 
Yeah. What kind of training do you need to do that? Be an institutional investor? Yeah. I would never want to manage someone else's money. So, well, I, I, But you don't know. You, like, you need a decent amount of money. You need a small clientele. You need to, you need to pass a regulation standard. There's a lot of other quantifiers that need to happen. It's it's pretty rigorous from what I from what I know. And uh, and I that too. Why do they suck at it then? Because it's not their money, so they don't give a fuck. Well, a lot of it's the market's distorted, so you don't have a good lead of where things are going. You have to be a really savvy investor to understand what's happening. And and a lot of the guys right now are on the bond trades. The bonds, they're all this. Every saying inflation, and I don't think we're gonna have inflation. I think we're full fledged for deflation, and I I think you're gonna get inflation in goods, but I think asset prices, they're gonna go through a deflation. I think we're gonna push interest rates down to zero, or get close to it before they realize, holy shit, we can't do anything. I I, I don't know how doom and gloom I'm being, but I think that's more the reality of things. The guys that are really watching the bond market, they're signaling deflation like a motherfucker. That's why interest rates are dropping. And everything's interest rates are going to spike. And I don't think they are. I think the Fed's fucking limited. As soon as interest rates start to go up, you're going to see all these home loan interest rates go up with these high asset price houses. No one's going to buy. You can't have these house prices so fucking high with interest rates starting to tick up. You, you, you're already kind of pricing the average person out of the market. You're really going to price everybody out of the market at a certain point. Do you think this is a California problem or is this a United States problem? It's a speculative market problem. So markets where they can't really build a lot and there's a squeeze, they're feeling that the most. Like the build in California, there's a ton of regulation hurdles. There's a lot of other companies lobbying against you to keep you from being a home builder in the area. They want to limit the amount of people that can build homes. If you overbuild in the market, what happens? Prices go down. Yeah, you have an oversupply. You got to move it. You got to incentivize people to buy it. Prices will gonna, are going to come down. But if you can squeeze the amount of people allowed to build or zone areas out, or regulate the shit out of it, you can't have people naturally building stuff for them to grow. Not only that, but even even rent control. Yeah. So if you're a developer, and you're trying to seek, and you're trying to build apartment complexes, like low cost or whatever, what's the incentive that they can fix the, the amount you can charge for rent in those places? You're not going to have anybody coming in and, and feeling that market demand. No. So now you have, a, you have a squeeze of inventory, and people are forced into it. And then you start running to a lot of other scenarios that, that are created from that. It's unintended consequences all over the place. No, my just my thing was uh, I just I feel like sometimes I live in this bubble of California and, you know, Sacramento area that I almost want to just kind of check out another state, check out another state. Because at this point, it's like, I don't know, California is just so. In my opinion, gone. Because, I, I, like, the, the the price to live here is just fucking crazy. And then on top of the price to live here, they still tax a shit ton on you, too. Yeah. And you're not just paying federal taxes. You're paying a fuck ton of state, state taxes. taxes. You're paying and then your, on top of that, they tax everything you buy. And so you're paying your state income tax, which is a, a decent amount. And now I think I think that. I, I know they're talking about it. I don't think there's any proposition on the ballot. They want to raise state income tax to a degree. They, they're raising taxes on just regular goods you're purchasing in all the different counties. Every county has a bond measure to increase the sales tax. That's in like every every county in, in California from what I can see. Well, at least the ones like the major counties were the ones where a lot, a lot of economic op, um, 
movement does happen. We have more velocity of money. So they're at, they're they're tacking on a one percent sales tax. Yeah, they don't sell a lot, but when it's seven percent, now it's eight percent. Is that really on the ballot right now? Yeah. No shit. Yes. Citrus Heights has one. They're offering a one percent. Roseville is a one percent. Um, Sacramento is a one percent. I think the why would you vote yes? Because it's always wrapped in some shit. It's gonna. It's more money for the schools. This proposition is about schools. And then you read it, <laughs> like the one we're reading for, um, I forgot what proposition, 15 or 16. 40% of the tax money was po- is supposed to be allocated for schools. So That's what it says, supposed to be. It literally says supposed to? Yeah. <laughs> you, the, other, Got him. <laughs> the other 60% is going for government um, operations. Like a nine-person task force? That's <laughs> vague as fuck, man. And what do you think these taxes do? So if you're laden, say, let, let's run this down even further now with the, with the mortgage payment. So you buy your house, your mortgage payment's two grand. Okay, that's where we're at. It shouldn't change unless property tax goes up. Property tax goes up. Okay, now you're going to have an adjustment. It might take a year or two. Then all of a sudden, let's say your mortgage payment went from 20, would say it went from 2000 Now it's like 2150 Okay, whatever. It is what it is. Okay, let's say sales tax is going up too now. So when you buy regular goods, you're now paying more for them. Okay. Okay, now let's say we're seeing this, we're starting to see some inflation, not in the house prices, but in goods you buy. So let's say the, the hamburger you bought a year ago was $5. Now it's say it's $7.50. So you're, on top of the tax, on top of you paying that $7.50, you're now paying $7.50 at an 8% sales tax. These things start to compound when you do that. And let's say a couple near, a couple years go by and they want to offer more bonds and raise the sales tax. And now you're saying you got more inflation. Then let's say there's more inflation creeping in. Now let's say the hamburger that you would have got is now about eight fifty, and we added another one percent sales tax. So now you're at nine percent sales tax. So you're now paying nine percent sales tax on like a fucking nine dollar hamburger, and all of a sudden your property value went up. So now you're paying more a month. Now let's say your mortgage payment now is twenty three hundred dollars a month. Do you understand where this starts to cripple you in the equation? If you don't think this is happening, look how much it is now when you go get a fucking hamburger meal from somewhere or something from Taco Bell or fucking food from the store. Just start to fucking piece these things together, people. They're doing you harm and you're solely relevant to that, that you think that's a good thing when the cost of everything is moving up on the other end. It starts to squeeze you. It starts to remove the ability for you to act freely. Maybe put your kids in something. This is why debt is such a critical thing to get off your plate. So if the government is fucking you tax-wise, you're not suffering the consequences of it to the full brunt that everybody else is. And you can learn to live with it. You can make changes. You can be more flexible. Yeah. You want to be a nimble, as nimble as you can in the marketplace. And having debt doesn't make you nimble. It's like having weight. It's like being on chains where you can't really move at the speed you want to move at because you're carrying a massive fucking boulder that's attached to you. So what I, if you what if you had a, a successful business but you had a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage payment or, or five hundred thousand dollar mortgage, but you have a, a successful business that you want to expand now, now that you have this extra five hundred thousand after taxes and everything that you inherited, is it a good idea to still pay off that 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 house, or do you expand your successful business and maybe make a little bit more? 
And this is where it gets tricky because now you got to start breaking down the nuanced position. Okay, what does the business consist of? Say it's a food joint and you want to open more stores. Okay. Are we talking before or after COVID? <laughs> That's true. Think about it. No, because I was thinking like. Think about if you have this badass restaurant that gets a lot of traffic. It's just, and it's not even like a restaurant. You sit down. It's a window. You pull up. And it's just you and the old lady running this thing. And you're and you kill hand over fist, and you're only, you're you're only working technically eight hours a day. It's just you and the old lady making tons, of, making a good profit margin because you're not paying for any other employees, and you're thinking about maybe expanding it because you got a good friend or maybe a family member or maybe one of your kids has been working with you. You got all these different factors, and you're, you're looking at it and you're like, fuck, you know, maybe I can spend it, maybe I can leverage the house a little bit. And so say say they say they own two hundred owe two hundred thousand dollars in the house. And they wanted to leverage that to expand the business. And say they take out $300,000 loan to open up two additional places. Because a lot of people are coming from outside the area. And they can barely keep up with the amount of people coming in. If you're getting, if your business is so good you have a line around the corner, the next step you need to do be, be doing is talking to your customers and finding out where they're coming from. And if you have a concentrated area, a concentrated people coming from a certain area, guess what? That means there's a demand in that area. And people are willing to go outside that area for your product. So now you're getting market signals to help you identify what your next step should be. Yeah, so that's a smart businessman. That's basic. That's some basic business. That's not even me going deep on it. That's just me breaking down the basic market signals that you're getting. Yeah, but this that is, basics is kind of like common sense. It's not that common. But <laughs> that's when I when I talk about market signals, that's a market signal. That's the market signaling to you that you, there's a demand and you're seeing it from outside the area. And if you have a concentrated amount of people willing to do that, boom. You know what the next step is? Now you go now you go commercial real estate hunting to find an area we can open up shop and expand into. So let's say you said... So say is they, that a good idea to take out that debt or is that still a... Do you... It gets which risky. One's better, which one's better? Do you save money until you're able to open up another store without taking out debt? Or do you take on debt to maybe make you up the money? This is where you have different options that you can weigh into. Number one, I always think everybody should own their primary residence outright. In the story, you owe nothing on it. That would be my first step. Number two, if you're not willing to take on a lot of debt, you can seek a private outside partnership and offer them a percentage of the place. If they're willing to fork up the money to keep the same quality standards, you can come in 50% of the action and maybe the first two year they get almost eighty percent of it. You're look, but you're looking for so you're giving up fifty percent of your company. Yes, but you're also not hanging your neck on a noose. You're not the one poning up the cash to make it happen. Or you can pay your house off, so you have a primary residence, and then you can focus on stacking as much money as you can to get in that position where you can open up the second. But for you to leverage your home, especially if, you have, if you're a small business owner, there's a good chance you have a kind of a family and some kids maybe. They use it coincides a lot of times. times. Yeah. yeah. Think about it. So it it's let so let's run that down. Let's say he did pay off his house and he didn't want to leverage his home. How dare you assume it's a man? Okay. <laughs> we know it ain't a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, bitches. Calm down. Anyways, no. you're saying. You're, but yeah. but so if you run that whole scenario down, okay, yeah. let's say let's say he paid off his house and he was saving capital. And maybe he did have a friend that 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 was willing to invest into the, the equation, and he did do that. And so you came out, say that was the scenario laid out. 
you in the first two years you take eighty percent of the total net gains, then after that we go fifty fifty split. If COVID hits, how much of a loss did you take in the equation? Not a whole lot. No, because you're not the one that's that's doing the risky side of it. But the guy, the guy that's pointing up the capital, he got risky with it, and that happens when you get risky with investment. That's yeah. the whole risk side of the investment. He's looking for the payoff, but there also might be a fucking loss. Yeah. If if he would if they would have did that scenario during COVID, and they didn't really have anything in the bank, and they thought this thing was going to turn over hotcakes, let's say they did do it. And they were three months ahead of the COVID fucking outbreak. And the businesses was fucking hotcakes. Boom. They opened up the new location. Both locations were still booming because there was a giant demand in the original case location from people inside the area. That, and then all of a sudden you open up the one outside the area and you didn't see much of a, dro- a drop in this one because there's still plenty of clientele. And all of a sudden this one's booming now and people people were actually happier because they don't go all, go, go all the way across town, maybe for lunch. Boom. Or wait a long line. Same quality, closer. You have a happy customer. These are all compounding effects. Then all of a sudden, COVID happens. So he he earned a three months of steady killer profits, and now he's fucking taking in the shorts. And why is he taking the shorts? Because California doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. So it's is a COVID thing. Is a COVID thing the issue that caused the businessman to be fucked, or is it California not really? Letting free market do it, letting the free market do its thing. Uh, a little bit of both. Knowing what we know now about COVID. Knowing what we know now about COVID, it's California. But in the beginning, nobody knew. Almost three. So it was so at the beginning, it was kind of both, and then now it's California. But so going back to that whole house thing, you pay off your primary residence. What do you say to the people that say you should rent where you live and? own what you rent so say I, this is something i read a long time ago and i don't remember i think it was, it was online somewhere but it was some like real estate investor that said where you live you should be renting where you live in other words you're paying someone you're paying someone for rent and then you should own property to rent it out to people as income i understand that only by this aspect this is this is the when i say i understand this is what i mean so how much are you renting that residence out for? First things first. The one you're living in or the one that you're renting out? The one you're renting out. The one you're renting? I don't know. This, this is just an I article. Know, but we, I don't remember the specifics. I know, but, but we need tangible numbers to understand why so this. So say you're renting, say you're paying, let's say 1500 bucks in mortgage. Okay. And you're renting it out for 1800 bucks. Okay. $300 profit. That's where you're at. Yeah. It's paying for itself. How much are you paying to rent the place you live in? Let's say two grand. Does that make sense? No. What if you're paying fifteen hundred bucks? Where you rent? Or do you think this is kind of a mentality of someone that's made it big, like took the whole real estate to, a, you know, this the, another level, and that's how they think once they once they're at that level. But even but you can't. But that is unsustainable. It, it that's still going to force you to go out and actually get a regular job. That's true. This is, where, this is where this equation works better. Let's say you bought a house. Say it's a three-bedroom house. Say your mortgage payment's $1,800 a month. Let's say you can get two roommates to come in and pay $600 a month each for the room. Now you take that $1,200. Now you have two options. You can, you can save that money until you build enough up to get a rental property. 
or you can take that $600 from each of them, which is 1200 and put it directly on the principal and get the house paid off like in no time. I would tell you I, I'm going to pay off the mortgage faster. But do, do, but do you see when you just when you start to examine these things, with, you can make more logical decisions instead of just frivolously throwing your money away? Well, like I said, this is something I read, and it was from a real estate guy that had already made it. And, you know. Well, the he, thing is. He, how, how, so he might have like 30 multiple properties, and he's making $300 profit on all of them at least. Or, you know, this is a hypothetical. Who says they're I, not paid off? Yeah. So. You know, that's that's another thing. Like I said, that that's probably someone that's already made it to that level. But I feel like someone that's starting off, like younger, you know, younger people, that's not the mentality they're going to take. I'm just but, looking at that from that approach. If you're renting it out for 18, your monthly's 15, mm-hmm. and then you're renting a place for two. You still have to have a job. Yeah, you, you, you didn't get out of that legwork. But if you live in your house... And then you, you got two roommates that are paying $600 a month. And then you're taking that money. And you, that money is basically free money at the end of the day. So you can either save it and look for an opportunity to buy into the market. Or you can get rid of your mortgage payment and shave the amount of interest you would have paid over time to free up a ton of more capital. Let's say you get the house paid off in eight years because you get super aggressive. So on top of you not paying that mortgage payment and on top of you having X, X freed up capital. And now on top of that, you have two you have two people living in your house that are paying you under the table $600 a month each for the room. How much free money now do you have to really get more risky in the market? A lot. And you have a lot more free capital to do things you want to do. That that should be kind of the goal. This is a basic <laughs> view of what I'm what I'm trying to what I was trying to lay out to the guy what they were talking at work about this. It's like it these are very very simple concepts. Just think about them logically. It's a logical train of thought. You don't have to be a badass businessman to make this work productively for you. You don't got to go to school for this. You don't even got to read economics or anything. If you just thought about that logically, you can understand where that is super beneficial, where you get more bang for your buck in the equation with very, very, very little risk. How much is your risk tolerance there? Those two guys renting the room for $600 a pop is almost covering the mortgage by itself. Yeah. People are always looking for rooms. There's always a buddy looking for a room. There's always something that you'll be able to fill the rooms. And even if you don't, so what? If you productively if you productively use that capital in the meantime while they were there, you should have some kind of beneficial outcome from that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you agree with those points or not, but I mean. No, I do. I, I was kind of playing the other side just to see where the conversation went. It's uh, just, for me, it's hard to see the other side because not, there's not a tangible position of what you would do with the money. And there isn't because a lot of people say they're going to do this or that, and then they end up doing something else with it. Majority of people will say I'll invest it, and they lose it, or they'll say I'll invest it. And, and they then give it to someone else to fucking manage it, and then they lose it. Well, not in that, but <laughs> they'll say I'm going to invest it, and what they end up doing is slowly eating away at the capital, doing fun shit, going somewhere, not doing, not being productive with it. That happens. People, that's human nature that that will happen. You will do dumb shit with your money. A fool and his money are soon departed. Majority of people that win lottery end up broke within five to six years. The fucking lottery. You're talking about millions take home net that you will get. Those people end up not owning a home and losing all that money. 
Do you think that's coincidence? No, that's human nature. Unload your debt burden so you have the freedom to pursue the things you want to do. Even if you don't want to be an investor, if you pay your house off and you just want to have fun living the life with your family, or maybe not like that, but doing shit with your kids where you don't have this thing that's just eating away at the back of you like with your job, if you just want to quit it and go be a fucking Walmart greeter, those options are on the table. Yeah. You work a part-time job and then go fuck around at home? Are, 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 you, are you really going to take a part-time job home with you and stress about it? No. No, and if you do, you know what? You fucking quit it and you go somewhere else because you don't need that shit. It's, it, it doesn't factor into your day-to-day life. You pick up a job that's fun to do. Something you go work you, at a dispensary? Yeah. <laughs> or not that, there's, there's, there's one place when I, when I was going to college taking electronic classes when I was going for the degree. It's called Parallax, and they were building circuit boards and badass R&D. They were building these remote-controlled fucking um, gas-generated um, units, like microprocessor units. They were badass, dude. You could stack a ton of weight on them and drive them around and get them all over the place. But they were, they, they were building the stamp processor for the HP printers here in, in the U.S. It was a badass place. They, would make, they were making a lot of the boards here. They shipped a lot of the, the etching process out to China. Just for the fact that no one gives a shit about the chemicals they could dump for the byproduct. Hmm. But even then, that would be a fun-ass job to just do that. Yeah. Just, just do R&D and developing shit. Yeah. You could go to college and actually study it so you know what the fuck you're doing. And then do things you want to do instead of the things that you feel like you're forced to do. Think about Think about if you woke up in the morning and there was nothing really sitting in your back other than what do I want to do today with my kids. I don't feel like going into work today. I'm going to call in sick. Yeah. Oh, well, we're going to fire you. That's fine. I'll go look for another job. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I'll live. Could you imagine waking up and that was your life? It's a pretty nice life. It's the freedom to do what you want. Yeah. yeah I, like I said, I don't know if, if this is making a lot of sense, but I thought this, I wish we could have got the guy on that had the other side of it. So he could have gave some tangible position behind it because I think he would have did a better job than, than us just messing yeah, cause around. Because we'll, <laughs> me and you are too too much on that side of the coin where we think the same about it. Yeah. So it's hard to it's hard to rationalize that position when when I just can't see that side of it investing. Maybe if you were single, one hundred percent, that's different. But to have kids and a family, it changes the entire factor of the equation. I don't even think if you're single, you should do it, though. Neither do I. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. Pay it off. Go have yeah. fun with your life. Don't yeah. worry about that anymore. Yeah. Think, think about how, how more carefree you were hurt when you were when you weren't paying any bills and you were just living to live. You didn't have any mortgage. Just think about when you were a young kid. It's fucking awesome. You, 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 get, go, you go around, fucking around with your friends, do something stupid. Yeah, you, you get a piece of that back what it's like just to have fun and do the thing you want to do. You hurt yourself. You're just like, ah, I'll be all right. But if you have a two thousand dollar mortgage payment and you hurt yourself and you can't work, it's not just a two thousand. More than likely, if you have a if you have a mortgage payment, you got some other debt going with it too. Is usually your car payment saddled with it? Maybe some other shit going on. There's always something. But the step, the ability to remove a big chunk of it, gives you freed up capital to address all the other debt. And it might be an eye-opener. You might live your life a little differently and get rid of a lot of those things. Could you imagine going and everything you got, you paid outright for it, and you never put it on a card? Those are small steps in a direction that gives you more, more a more enjoyable life at the end of the day. 
No, you don't have to be a millionaire to be fucking to like your life. Even even then, it's okay. Say say you say you get risky with your investment. You do all this awesome stuff and you make all this money, and you're able to turn, to turn around and pay your house off. Okay, so you leave the business to your kids. Do you think they're going to run the business good? There's no guarantee in any of those factors. Who says your kids come out right? Who says, who says your kids want to do that? Yeah, who? Not that. Who says you don't pour every ounce of yourself into the into the investment money so you don't lose the investment and at the same time push your entire personal life to the side? You, you That's don't. That's not a life. But you don't think that wouldn't happen? Think about it. if you have five hundred thousand dollars invested in everything into a, an idea, even though you have a mortgage and everything. What are you going to try to do? You're going to try to make it work. You're going to do everything you can. You might work crazy fucking hours and ignore the time with your kids or your family or people in general you like hanging out with and having a good time. Everything gets rolled up into this thing where you're trying to keep it afloat because you have a lot of fucking skin in the game. And now that, say it fails. You don't think that's not going to affect your personal life, your relationship 100%. with your family? Think about if you have an old lady and you did that and you had an argument over maybe she was for paying off the house and you weren't and you convinced her this was the better alternative and you fucking lost all that money. How is that going to play out in the long game? Say you have a good job, right? That you make enough money to make your mortgage payment and not even have to worry about money. You have a decent savings account before you inherited this money. And you, you're not really stressing out about anything. And then you get all this money. Do you still take the risk or no? So you, you basically had a trust. And then you, let's, and then say you your, the let's say your mortgage payment is like $500 because you've fucking been paying this thing off forever. And, and you refinance and now your monthly payment is 500 mm -hmm. That's taxes, everything? Yeah. That's different. Your risk tolerance is way, is way higher now because you don't have a giant debt burden. So it's the same concept, just... A you, little different. You, yeah, you've minimized. It's, if, you're, if your mortgage payment is $500 a month, guess what? If you work the average job, that's a week's worth of pay. Even at the federal minimum wage. Yeah. <laughs> your, whole, your whole objective your entire life is to minimize your cost and your risk tolerance so you can do more stuff that you like doing or do riskier stuff. The more you minimize that, what that is, the more opportunities you present yourself. That's just that's just a little bit of thinking about the scenario. Let's say your monthly mortgage payment is five hundred dollars, but that's on a thirty year loan. Is that like how much interest are you going to pay on that? You don't pay a fuck ton. Yeah, but so you, but it you're still, but it's still worth it just because you don't have that that risk. Yeah, well, not in that. But think about it. it say say that would say your your monthly was five hundred. That includes taxes. How hard would it be to pay an additional five hundred? Not that hard. How how hard would you be paying an additional hundred dollars a month? Not not that hard. Additional hundred dollars a month is twelve hundred dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Twelve hundred dollars a year for thirty years, that's thirty thousand dollars. That's over thirty thousand dollars you would have paid into it. Additional, that has a huge impact on the amount of interest too. Yeah, that's a small that's a small step in this direction that has giant compounding effects. Little things like that do have a big impact. So it, it so even though you had a thirty year loan at five hundred dollars a month, including taxes, even if you paid this an additional hundred dollars a month on the principal, just on the principal alone, you have shaved thirty thousand dollars additional or more, more way more than thirty thousand dollars additional off of it. Small, 
steps have giant ramifications in those scenarios. But even then, like say you picked up a roommate and you got crazy for a year and you took all those. There's all these different factors when you have that equation into play. And it sucks. My biggest thing, too, is I remember we lived in an apartment. We sucked with money. We did shitty with money. We still had, we still had car payments. And now I look back, I will never have a fucking car payment again in my life. That is the biggest squander of money you can take on. Hands fucking down. And if I ever do get a fucking car payment or a loan, I won't, I won't get anything over 10 grand. 10 grand, if you get aggressive enough, you can pay that off in a year. Easily. There's no why. There's no reason where if you just scrimped and saved that you couldn't pay that off. You did that with the Prius, didn't you? Paid it off in like, uh, I think, six months. Yeah. It's good. Just everything got funneled from Uber directly into it. Paid it off. Paid off our wife's car. As soon as I started dying all those things in, I was like, oh, yeah, fuck doing this. I'm not going to take out debt again. It's the last thing I want to do. Yeah, that's actually what my mom did to refinance the house. Oh, no shit? Yeah. But she, so it was weird. So you you can take out a loan off of your 401k, but the interest you're paying on it goes right back into your 401k. Yes, it gets rolled right in your 401k. So what she did was she took out a loan from there, paid off <coughs> her credit cards, and then just focused on paying the principal? Just, the, just the 401k loan. No, yeah. she wasn't worried about the house. She was she was giving the minimum there. Okay. But then working on the, the, the 401k loan, so within like two years... She knocked out all her debt, including the 401k loan, because they would not refinance the house to her because her income was so low. And then once she got rid of, and they, then once she got rid of all that debt, boom, done. And, but that's a prime example. Even a bank is not dumb and they're not oblivious to that. That how much of a how much of a damage debt can do to you. So they looked at her overall what she was taking home compared to what she had paying out. Like the math don't work here. No, and even even because she was trying to refinance the loan at. At uh, what was it? I think at the time it was only like one fifty. Yeah, it's a little bit of debt. It those red flags. Yeah, so that's not even that's like half the price of a house nowadays, in the area that we're in. Yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. Well, you can go to Sacramento and get a three hundred thousand dollar home, but like I said, I don't want to live there. <laughs> <laughs> Call me racist. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I don't know. But but yeah, that's what she had to do. But hey, that it ended up working out. But yeah, I don't know. It she definitely took on debt to pay off debt. So, but it worked. The, the thing too with the four hundred one k, you're in a little bit different scenario, because the four hundred one k, if you're using it productively like that, it's already your money you've paid into it. If you're gonna borrow against it, it's technically your money. I don't see the inherent bad with that. I know people might disagree, but. It's money that's actually yours and you have it. So Is it you, bad if you take it and then go blow it at a casino? That's bad. Did you win? <laughs> it gets really hard to quantify yeah. it. I mean, it's but it's but it, it is still bad though. It's yeah. I would say it's that would be a bad way of using that money. Yes, that that is a bad way to do it. But how what's your risk tolerance? If you don't have a mortgage payment, it's not high. Well, think about it. So if say you don't have a mortgage payment and you want to do some risky shit to see if you can get a payoff and say you take $20,000 out of your 401k and you go play blackjack or just say you play roulette and you just put it on fucking red and you win. Once you know the outcome, it's fucking pretty, okay, no, pretty cut and dry. Just, I know, but, but let's run but this down But if you don't bit. know the am- outcome. So, I know, but that's what your risk tolerance. You don't have a mortgage payment. You have a high risk tolerance. 
you can get more risky with shit. Because you, it's twenty grand. Okay, yeah, it sucks, but it's it's not life ending because you don't have a mortgage payment. You have different factors there. So let's say you do that and you win. Boom, you turn around, you pay off your 401, you pay the loan off in your 401k immediately, put the money back in there, and then now you have a free, now you have additional capital right there. Okay, let's say you lose. All right, pay it off and do it again. <laughs> yeah, so you, <laughs> which if you you, you can you can turn around and you can just you, you you can save up your money and pay off the lump sum and like fuck, I'm not going to do that again. But but your risk tolerance is different cuz you don't have debt laden on you. You can't be making these risky assessments when you have debt lingering in the background. It, it is a bad mistake to do that. And er, I'm, not, I'm not trying to criticize people that do that and are in that scenario. I've been in that scenario. I'm just, from experience, when you do that, you, you remove your ability to be free in life. You removed your, your freedom from the equation. You are a slave to that fucking job or whatever it is you're doing in that amount of money. Don't be that person. Uh, this is why understanding economics goes a long way. Little small understandings of economics, the more you have insight to it, the more you're going to think about stuff. The whole thing, with the, I know I haven't really talked about this, the, the idea of time preference. What's your time worth to you? If your time ain't worth shit, then waste your time at work. But if your time is valuable to you, do something productive with the time you're spending at work and the money you're earning there. Don't fucking squander it like an idiot. Paying off shit to try to keep up with the Joneses. Don't do that. Get rid of your debt. Go enjoy a fucking life that's worth living. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. No, I think that's a perfect way to end it. Yeah. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I, was, I think that was perfect. Yeah. Uh, that's just my opinion. You can take it for what it is, but uh, it, that's what it is. So, peace. <laughs>